Hello, and welcome to Permission to Be. I'm your host, Becca Epley, joined today by my good friend and co-host, Tommy Allgood. Permission to Be exists to be a space of hope for those journeying to find their true, authentic selves. We hope that the story shared here will inspire you on your own journey and help you unlock the permission to be who you have always truly been. Hello, and welcome to the Permission to Be podcast. I am your co-host, Becca, joined today by my glorious co-host, Tommy Allgood. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We're a little giggly on uh, our show today after coming off of a heavy weekend. Uh, We have with us today, Caitlin Curtis. If you have not heard of her... Well, first of all, you should have already. Shame on you. you Shame on you. Shame. (laughs) We don't believe in shame here, but shame on you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, She, how Caitlin is so many things. I just don't even know where to begin. She is a storyteller, a speaker, an author. In past lives, she's led worship. There's just so many things. A poet. A poet. And she is a citizen of the Potawatomi. Um, bear with Potawatomi. me. Potawatomi. Potawatomi. This is a bunch of this is a white person trying to find it. <laughs> we just said it right. Potawatomi. We just said it right. Potawatomi. So all that to say, and as you can hear, welcome, Caitlin. Thank you. <laughs> I was like, we will get this name right. <laughs> it's like on stage, you just freeze. Oh, like, I mean, oh man, listen so here, black folk be complaining about these names. We gonna get this name right. <laughs> <laughs> Put some respect okay. in that. <laughs> exactly. uh, all right. We're so excited to have you here. Obviously, you can tell we're a bunch of goofy nuts. So, um. <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong. <laughs> but how are you? How are you today? How are you in this season of COVID nineteen and social distancing and isolation? How is your family? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. Um, every time I ask someone how they are, or someone asks me, it's like we all just stare at each other because. There's like no good answer, you know, like it's really moment to moment, day to day. Some Mondays are awesome. Most of them aren't, I've found. Um, So Mondays are just hard, you know, Um, and our kids are, they're struggling, but they're amazing at the same time. And we're trying to get work done around them. You know, I'm trying to launch a book and my partner's (laughs) trying to finish his PhD right now. So it's like the, the, you know, everyone everyone has stuff happening where this season is just extra wild, you Mm -hmm. know? And so that's ours. It's just, we both have big things that we're trying to wrap up and uh, we're still doing it. It's just an adventure, I guess you could call it. (laughs) Not the quiet house (laughs) working from home. No, everything has changed. So we were just talking and we decided that we would go ahead and ask, but if there was a person to play you in your biopic, who would that person be? And do you do you actually want to talk about the conversation we were sort of, ha- Beck and I were having before we even decided to ask you that question? 
how indigenous people are portrayed in movies. Is that what you're getting at, Tommy? Yeah, yeah. Because I, w- I wasn't sure if that was an appropriate question in terms of with history and whatnot. And I'm in a space where I'm really trying to um, not just connect with my ancestral roots and honor that history, but honor all indigenous histories and, and uh-huh. people who have been victim of colonization. And so I just recognizing the history between Hollywood and indigenous people and how they're portrayed. Um, I wanted to honor that and sort of bring an, uh, an awareness or and an attention to that. So I was like, I don't even know if this is an appropriate question as we root into some of this discussion today. I, I appreciate that though, because, you know, that's just not, even though it's so obvious, like that is really where people learn about indigenous people is from old Westerns. There's kind of this, you know, that's where a lot of our imagery comes yeah. from, whether we realize it or not, you know, even, mm-hmm. even more so than what we're taught in school is this kind of the Hollywood version of a native princess or a, you know, this savage warrior fighting cowboys or, you know, like all these stereotypes that have been created. So it actually, it is a really interesting question. I, um, you know, I would answer just <laughs> in with a random actress, but in eighth grade, I was, I like, I like to wear black. I've always liked to wear a lot of black. It's my favorite color to wear. I wear neutral colors. Okay. This is me. And it took me until I was like nearly 30 to be honest about that. I would buy like really bright prints and be like, this is me. And then I wouldn't wear it, you know, but I finally was honest. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> I like to wear gray and black <laughs> and dark green and dark blue. And that's about it. You know, like that's, yeah, I'm honest. It. I'm honest now. <laughs> but in like junior it. high, I wore a lot of black. And my friend Ryan, who, um, he like got the Netflix DVDs before Netflix was popular in high school. Uh. Like he was a film guy. And one time he was like, you look like Winona Ryder from Beetlejuice. And I was like, oh. And then I was like, I'm okay with that, actually. So, all right. That's all cool. right. I'll, I'll take it. Strange <laughs> my life. Just kidding. But um, I would choose her. Okay. She's awesome in Stranger Things, too. So, right. Oh, my goodness. Right. Uh, I guess uh, we look like, according to Ryan from Junior okay. High. So, <laughs> I choose her. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks, Ryan. <laughs> Who would have thought? Who would have thought Ryan would make an appearance so many years later? I'm going to email him. We haven't talked in decades. <laughs> this is great. All right. So this is an exciting time for you. You have a book coming out. I um, do. And by the time this release, the book will probably be out. I think we're... Well, no. we're going to release it either on book release day Yay. or 24 hours later. Perfect. So book release day is May 4th, right? May 5th. May 5th. The 5th. Yeah. yeah. Excuse me. Oh. It'll make him out. Yeah, it'll come out right around there. You let Jesse's Star Wars love creep in there for you because you're like, May the 4th be with I did. You I did. <laughs> yeah, so you're very nerdy family in all things Star Wars and comics. <laughs> Your Marvel specifically. Okay, yeah. good to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I won't bring up any DC reference. <laughs> Just kidding. I would get them mixed up. I would try to do it r- right, and then it wouldn't be. I I had no idea. I married into it. Yeah, me too. So, like, I don't want to like make it 
all about the book, unless that's the direction that the conversation goes, because I also know that the book is so much about you. Mm-hmm. And we're just, we love story and narrative here. Mm-hmm. And so could you just tell us a little bit about this journey of this gift that the world is about to receive? Yeah. So when I wrote my first book, Glory Happening, it was kind of, um, I didn't, I didn't plan for it to be a book, you know, Glory Happening was like a bunch of journal entries, basically, that I realized I was writing these stories for my life. And I realized, like, maybe they should be something more than journal entries. And so I submitted them mm. to a publisher, and they they took it. So it was just this journey that just like, I didn't know was going to happen. And then it happened. And, mm. and when I was writing that one, I was just kind of starting to ask questions about my spirituality and my faith. And, you know, so it's, it was just barely being reflected in that book. And then since I wrote that, you know, just the continual journey of asking these big questions about the, the religions we grew up in or our identity, you know, these are natural questions that we ask when we become adults, you know, we have grief or, you know, for me, it was having children that made me like question some of this stuff. And so for me, you know, native was just kind of the next step of that, which for me was sort of moving not just from not just to through deconstructing my faith but decolonizing it and so mm. examining for myself what colonization you know how it's been a part of my life and how I've participated in it and how it's affected my people and you know and through that reconnecting with parts of myself that I think had been silenced just because that's the way it goes you know and so giving voice yeah. to that part of me I've already been doing that anyway, and so because I'm a writer, it's like that's what comes out as it comes out through a book. Um, But I wanted to write it, you know, to educate people, but also just to like connect us as humans. And I wanted to write a book also for, you know, for the church and for all that to challenge some of these institutions that we've grown up in um, and that America is kind of founded on. But also, I wanted to write a book for black, indigenous, people of color, women of color, you know, people who live on the margins of society. I wanted to write a book for them that even if they're not native, they can read the stories and see something of themselves in it. Or people who are mixed, like mixed race, mixed ethnicity, mixed culture. There there are a lot of people like that who live in these liminal spaces and don't have a lot of ways to figure that out. And that's where I live. And so I wanted to write a book that could reflect some of those hard conversations that we don't really talk about. And so, mm-hmm. I don't know, it was just born out of all of that. And it was it was hard to write. Mm-hmm. It was wonderful to write. It was, you know, it was like so many things. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad I wrote it. And I can't wait for everyone to read it. So I've had the privilege of having an advanced copy of it. And I only made it 90% of the way through <laughs> before our interview because... Y'all, you just don't know. There's so much. It's so thick, even though it is not a huge book, but it is thick where you just have to reread and take a breath in. And if you don't mind, Caitlin, I'm going to read one sentence and I'd love to talk about it kind of with what you were talking about. It's uh, in the middle of the book on in the self-examine chapter. And it says, self-care is one of our core desires to be healthy, to be whole, to feel connected. But within the ideas of self-care are layers and layers of privilege. 
what might be self-care for middle-class women in Beverly Hills is not self-care for a single mom in Chicago or a mother living on a reservation. I'd like to talk about that for a little bit. We live in a white middle class lives in a world that's very self-care focused. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like we have to learn that we can do it and then we just do it. I'd like for you to share, if you would, just a little bit how that is not the narrative for most, mm-hmm. uh, especially the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. I just think about this a lot because the I am, ideas of self-care, I I don't think I was really introduced to that until a few years ago. And it kind of coincided with me starting therapy. And mm-hmm. when I started therapy, I couldn't afford it. And so my therapist already knocked the price down a bit for me just to go. And I still couldn't really afford it, but I was going to try. And then yeah. one of my Twitter followers actually messaged me and said, I'll pay for you to go to therapy for a year or just like six months mm-hmm. or a year. So she paid for my therapy for the first while and I couldn't have gone without that like mm-hmm. I could not have afforded it um and so that made me realize that well I'm even able to go some people can't even find one some people don't have therapists in their area and then so many people can't afford this thing that we talk about is essential to self-care but then there's all these other just layers of you know if you're a single parent you know how do you find and practice ways of self-care Um, and you're right, we have made it into a consumer product. And so I, I've read things online where it's like, self-care is like, I went to the spa one day and then I went and had lunch with my best friend. And then I went out to dinner and it's like, I'm like, I could never afford to do that. And I know tons of women who could never afford to Mm -hmm. do that kind of self-care where it's a packaged thing like that. And, and I don't begrudge people who are able to do that. It's just, we have to be realistic about like I wrote those layers of privilege that are in it, you know, um, mm-hmm. if you can't even afford to park somewhere just to get into the building where you're trying to see the therapist that you are seeing, but you can't really afford it. Like those are all really real barriers to getting help. And for me as an indigenous person, like returning back to who I am is a form of self-care. So like, you know, l- learning my language or praying in Potawatomi, like those, those things are free, but I have to be able to get to the internet or I have to, you know, there are just mm-hmm. things that, um, that do make it hard. Um, one form of self-care that I think is powerful is, is connecting with the earth. And, uh, and that's mm-hmm. not even available to everyone. If you don't live somewhere that you can get to the earth, get to the land, yeah. you know? So even yeah. that, which is a thing that we talk about a lot, like just get on, get out to the land. You know, some people don't have that possibility either and so how can we connect to the earth and can and in doing that connect back to ourselves and care for ourselves how do we do that if not everyone can even do that you know um it's just so many questions like it's almost like when you start thinking about it there's just so many more questions and just unravels yeah, yeah and like these questions of you know how do our institutions keep people from what they need and just the general way that we put so much pressure to do and to, to work and to get stuff done that we're mm-hmm. not taking care of ourselves very well. Mm-hmm. You said it's sort of into that with so many questions and it made me think of how you use the term mother mystery mm-hmm. in a lot of your writings. And is that where sort of the, this realization that the more we become still, the more we connect with the earth, the more this mystery sort of 
overwhelms us and overtakes us or like where did mother mystery come from <laughs> that's a funny story um actually <laughs> let me tell you <laughs> please tell okay mother mystery actually um <laughs> i spoke at uh, baylor university in texas um earlier this yes. year for my first speaking event mm-hmm. and there's a prayer so when i wrote glory happening that was a time when i started um understanding God more as mystery instead of the like patriarchal father, he, him, his kind of way. Mm -hmm. And that really, that really did open up the world for me that, that, that actually felt safer to me than the like very patriarchal box I was given Mm. growing up. So the mystery idea, yeah, it just opened everything up. But so I was re I read one of my prayers at a talk at Baylor and a group of young men who didn't like what I said. Ooh, um, I think I was reading about this. Oh, 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 yeah. yes. They, um, they were like, she prayed to Mother Mystery. And it's funny because that was never in my prayer, but they tweeted about it. They were interviewed by the news about it. Like it was, it was a lot. It was an awful week, but, but it did like reveal that they weren't even listening. And then I was like, I really like Mother Mystery. And so I started writing all these poems and prayers using it. And and I made sure that no one else had used it that I know of. So I was like Googling the, the term, you know, <laughs> I didn't really find anything. But of course, you know, so many other parts of Christianity and older traditions within Christianity use, use the feminine kind of ideas of mystery. Like, I, I don't know. So it was just, it was funny because they were trying to really like, push at how awful mm-hmm. this was and it just <laughs> elevated how awesome it is so um yeah. i had my a guy on twitter uh, jake doctor actually made t-shirts designed that say mother mystery so we, we're selling <laughs> those cute. and we're giving all the money to like native organizations and so it turned into this beautiful thing and and now i just love like writing prayers and poems about mother mystery and and it fits because you know mother earth is this idea sugamakwe mother earth like that shelters us. So it, it all, it all comes together and makes sense. It's just funny that mm-hmm. like the way that we all got to that was through this white supremacist anchored <laughs> school. Definitely you know, I just, you know, yeah. So yeah. it's ironic, but here we are. <laughs> Mother mystery. Uh, there, there's just so many places to go. Like, I want to be like, are you okay? And like, how did you navigate through all of that? And then I'm like sitting here thinking about like Austin Channing Brown and getting uh-huh. like shadow blocked on Twitter the other yeah. day, to, like just happening right now. Uh-huh. And it's just like, dear God. But it also like within that though, there's that redeeming quality of it that even though the system of whiteness is trying to silence you, there's it always seems like there's this creative art that comes mm. out of that oppression that comes out of that resistance mm-hmm. um to break down the bonds of white supremacy um so mm-hmm. I, I just find that so fascinating and, and that just it seems to permeate through indigenous culture through african-american cultures and narratives and art and our story and so mm-hmm. i was just like rock on like i'm i'm sitting here like so conflicted and like angry and there's so many emotions going on in my body of like what the yeah and that is it's beautiful that we can take and that's why you know to me like i talk about that decolonization is a gift it's an invitation to something like we can be angry because this is a reality like the silencing and 
the microaggressions, like all of it is a reality. So we get to be angry and then we get to, you know, funnel that anger into something amazing that just propels us forward and keeps breaking down these systems, whether they like it or not, you know, and that's what Austin's doing and that's what I'm trying to do. And, and it's beautiful because that is the way forward. You know, we just keep creating. So good. And you stop saying that. And you're like, Rob Dell, she says it all the time. <laughs> <So> <laughs>
in America, you know, yeah. this is our context, yeah. but the way that, you know, Christianity worked with the government to oppress indigenous people, it was all, you know, you said the pledge and you read your Bible and you, you know, you did all the things to become assimilated into what it meant to be an American, a white American, and what it meant to be a white Christian with a white Jesus. You know, that was all bundled into one, you know, little package. And that's what you got. And that's what you needed to accept. And I just want to know if there's another way. And I honestly don't know. You know, sometimes I'm like, we can do this. The church can change. And then sometimes I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> like I'm, I'm done. Yeah. You know, like I, I really struggle. I struggle all the time, but I meet people. I meet people who are trying to do this work. Now people are different than institutions. So, you know, it's like on the institutional level, are we doing this work? I don't know. I think people are trying, but is the institution trying and is it really mm -hmm. changing or not? Yeah. And I don't know. I love that you bring up this point about sort of the enmeshment of the history of the church and the government as it relates to indigenous people. I was just doing a little bit of research and I read that prior to colonization, there was about the estimates of about 700 million uh, indigenous people here in their native land. And by the time conquests and war mm. happened, it was around 220,000. I mean, that's just disgusting. And that's all in the name of God, yep. you know? It's all like this, you know, conquests were like this pride of doing God's work. So I find myself in a space where I'm listening to a lot of womanist theologians mm. and just a lot of people who are doing the work of decolonizing themselves, dismantling racism in themselves. And it is such a complicated, I find myself in that same space, you know, as I'm trying to work within the church to transform it of like, is this even worth it some days? Right. Be, yeah. Or is it worth, you know, and I think I was listening to check your privilege the other day Um and they said something extremely key that for institutions to change, there has to be indigenous and people of color in leadership mm -hmm. for that to even begin to filter down. Mm -hmm. And I think so much of it is because of the water that we swim in is so steeped in white supremacy and mm -hmm. people deemed white have no other context to identify with if they have not begun to do the work. We have to start by recognizing that we're white, we're white people. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, so I, I write about this in the book too. I worked at a church as a worship leader a few years ago and it, it's a progressive church and amazing people. But once I started leading worship and then I was starting to write for sojourners and starting to speak up about indigenous rights and, you know, there were a group of people that said they were uncomfortable with me. So I suddenly became this threat to them because I was asserting my identity, not from the, you know, it's not like mm -hmm. I was like singing worship songs and talking about indigenous rights, like from the, I wasn't doing that, you know, but it didn't matter because I was, you know, um, I was doing enough that it, it challenged them and they didn't want to see their whiteness. They didn't want to deal with that. And so what they did was tell me that I make them uncomfortable. And, you know, so I didn't stay there long because I knew that if that's just, it, that was just the tip of the iceberg, you know, mm -hmm. and this is a progressive church. And even in progressive churches, it's still, 
is a problem when, you know, the leadership is white people who are not valuing the voices of others or afraid it'll make them look, it's like they're afraid it's like they're afraid of the whiteness, mm-hmm. the, what, what whiteness is steeped in. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so they, if, if there's someone that might reveal that, it's like, oh, no, like we can't have that happen because we're progressive, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, so it's, in progressive churches, it's even like worse. They don't want it to be, they don't want to be seen as racist or they don't want to be seen as being steeped in white supremacy. But we have to understand that that's the foundation of so much of the white church in America is is white supremacy and racism you know like we have to talk about it and so i i left and mm. i don't know how i would have stayed yeah it wasn't everyone but it was people in leadership you know and mm-hmm. so it's like how do you who's who's going to win yep. there yeah you know yeah. who's going to end up yeah. winning i think as white people we have to stop being afraid of being called a racist because mm-hmm. there is no way we have lived in this country and not been immersed in white culture, no matter your socioeconomic Uh status. If your biggest fear is being afraid to be racist, then the work you're doing is surrounding your fear that's focused on you. Uh And you have to let go of that fear and welcome the education of ourselves (laughs) to be allies. And some really uncomfortable self-examination and work. I mean, it's not comfortable to go into these spaces. And I I say it all the time, you don't have to do it alone. There's so many resources and there's so many people, especially people of color and indigenous people who are actually willing to journey with you when you say, hey, I actually want to show up to this work. Mm -hmm. So this book, Native, I'm so excited to read it myself. (laughs) I know, I'm so like, especially even now we've gotten to talk about it. What in all of this and writing this book and thinking about the church in its history with indigenous people, with black and brown people in this country, what is salvation looking mm-hmm. like for you in this space well, as you sort of decolonize and reconnect your indigenous roots? In, in the divine and okay. sort of build these um, new understandings of who you are and who you are becoming. Mm-hmm. I think the most powerful like moments for me right now are these moments of solidarity with other people who are from their own context going on this similar journey of breaking out of these systems of colonization. So you know, and really whether they're Christians or not, there's this, you know, just doing this spirituality work of asking what systems we participate in. And it's important for Christians because of the foundations of America. So, but like finding other people who are just trying to be really honest in their journey has given me so much hope. And the actual word salvation, like I, because it's such a triggering word because growing because of growing up evangelical. Me too. So I actually there's so many words like that that I don't even know what they mean right now to me. Like mm. I, you know, people ask me like about you know what Bible verse do you recommend to people or or my publisher was like what version of the Bible did you use in the book and I was like I didn't use the Bible in my book like I didn't <laughs> quote, I quoted maybe like two scriptures but I I don't read the Bible a lot. Um, I don't study 
scripture a lot because it's still really triggering for me. I don't know how to read it without the colonized lens yet. And one day I hope I will be able to. And I'm reading books that help me get there. Like there's one called um, Unsettling the Word. And it's like, it's a gorgeous book and it, it has all, it has indigenous people, people of color. And they're, they're basically decolonizing scripture. And it's, it. it's amazing and it's helping me inch my way toward that. But again, that's like, that's more of that solidarity work of people coming together and saying, here are systems that have oppressed, like how do we navigate this together? And that kind of work just gives me a lot of hope. Like even just people on Twitter that I know are doing this work in their own way. You know, they're not doing it the same way I am, but we're, we're meeting each other in those liminal spaces and we're having those conversations and seeing each other there. And, and I just think that there's so much value in, in that work and it makes me really excited to keep going when it does feel really hopeless right now. Like, you know that there are people out there who are trying to do this, you know? And that's just so good to know that we're not alone in it. Amen to that. Caitlin, thank you so much for spending time with us and being willing to share some of your journey and your heart. Can you share with everybody how they can locate you on the social media channels and anything else that's coming down the pipeline for you. And that was an awful choice of words. I'm going to just call myself out right now. Y'all, I just said pipeline. It's in my brain. I'm reading Dakota pipeline. I'm just going to call. I just had a white moment. You all can't see me. I'm raising my hand. I had a white moment. That's me. Okay, so uh, I, I probably wouldn't. I wouldn't have even noticed because I was too busy thinking about my answer. So I wouldn't have even, like I wouldn't have even noticed. Okay, well, I'm glad you would have, you did it, but I'm just gonna call it. Right, I'm so, so proud of you in this moment. I know. Why aren't you? Because oh, you know someone else would have noticed totally. listening, even if the actual person you're interviewing didn't. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh yeah. Oh yeah. All right. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, we have to recompose ourselves, everybody. Yeah. Um, I'm on I'm on Twitter and Instagram mostly. So both of them are Caitlin Curtis, I think. They're both Caitlin Curtis, I believe. <laughs> I know Twitter is. I think Instagram is also at Caitlin Curtis. So those are easy ones. And I'm doing a, a virtual book tour. And so you can find that on my website. But I'm like on book release day. I'm on Instagram live with Glennon Doyle awesome. and then I'll be on Instagram live with Amina Brown. And mm-hmm. there's just a whole, a whole group of amazing people who have just taken care of me and are um, mm-hmm. going to have conversations about the book. So there'll be Instagram live. So they'll, you know, they disappear after 24 hours. Yeah. But if you're on Instagram, that's a great place for us to kind of gather and talk about the book. Well, Caitlin, after this conversation and just seeing you in your element and in your presence, I thoroughly want to be your friend forever and ever now. <laughs> Same. And I'm just so grateful for you just taking time out of your chaotic and busy day um, mm-hmm. to, to be Thank with you. us. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us on Permission to Be. I'm your host, Becca Epley, and thank you to my good friend and co-host, Tommy Allgood. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and you'll never miss an episode. If you would leave us a rating and or review, we are always looking for more and more ways to hear from our listeners. 
You can find the links for today's guest in the show notes located at BeccaEpley.com. Caitlin, how do you, I had, this is not starting. I'll edit this out. How, I'm not going to do it correctly, but how do you. Potawatomi. Potawatomi? Yes. Potawatomi. 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 Okay. I get that one a lot. It looks, there's, looks like there's different ways you could say it, you know, when you read Mm -hmm. it in your head. So. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. like, where do I place these vowels? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like you accent one. What is. Potawatomi. I'm saying it because that's not how I was saying it in my head. Yeah. Potawatomi. Potawatomi. Yeah. Potawatomi.